Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and joining us today is Tony Sharota. He's the Executive Director for Reverse Logistics Association. Welcome, Tony. Uh, good afternoon, Juliette. So, Tony, give our listeners uh, just a little insight into what Reverse Logistics Association is all about. Absolutely. Well, we should start, Juliet, because when I'm in mixed company circles and I mention that I'm in reverse logistics, uh, usually the first question is, what the heck is that? And mm-hmm. uh, some people are familiar with logistics, of course, forward logistics, supply chain logistics, and so on. But the terminology reverse logistics throws them because it really has only been in play for maybe the last decade or two. And reverse logistics, the easiest way to explain it is, of course, returns. And in my world of, of in my background, returns eventually under was understood by me to be reverse sales. And so I, I lead that way because my background does not come from reverse logistics or returns. I actually spent uh, years with Sony Corporation in the 80s, and then I joined Philips Consumer Electronics, and I was there for about 25 years. And at Philips, I was in sales and marketing, and then I was tapped to take over the returns nightmare that every manufacturer faces. And in about 10 years with Philips, the last 10 years of my career there, I spent a lot of time learning about the world of returns and reverse logistics and becoming kind of a subject matter expert on the topic because I would write articles, I would go to conferences and speak. I started out going to conferences to learn everything I could about returns and reverse logistics. How do you reduce them? What do you do with them? How do you increase what you collect for those return goods? How do you dispose of them properly? Things like that. So I spent about 10 to 15 years at Phillips working in that area, director of the returns management department, which didn't exist until I started it in 1998 with Phillips. So in about the last 20 years, I spent a lot of time at Phillips working on that, but my previous background, of course, had been in sales and uh, marketing, and that's where it became evident to me. I learned that the approach had to be returns and reverse logistics are not just about a problem to be resolved, but a problem that could be prevented upstream. And I felt like I worked on that extensively at Phillips. And, um, of course, the joke at Phillips that I always tell people when I speak is my job was to work myself out of a job. When I started at Phillips, (laughs) we had some very high returns. And as I worked on reducing the problem, uh, which we'll talk about maybe a little more specific later, I did eventually kind of work myself out of a job. Uh, Fortunately, it was about the same time that Phillips said, Uh, We'll let you retire if you'd like to. So I did retire. And it was interesting that as I retired and became a consultant of sorts, uh, Philips became my best customer, both for consulting projects on 
reducing returns in the lighting division, and also because they needed someone to sell those products, and I was able to help them move a lot of products. I did participate in the Reverse Logistics uh, Association while I was at Phillips. This association began in about 2003, and there were no organizations out there. And I know I spent three or four years looking for organizations to find out about returns. Lots of, of associations focused on forward and supply chain and marketing and finance, but nobody really was focused on the reverse logistics world. And so when I joined the RLA in 2003, I was invited to become a member of the advisory board. I did that for about 10 or 12 years while at Phillips. And in 2016, the founder and owner of the RLA was ready to retire. And it was an opportunity for me to take over the RLA and become the executive director. Wow. So you've had quite a journey to get you to where you are now. Quite a journey, Julia. Thank you. Absolutely. A very long journey. And uh, my wife might call it sometimes a misguided journey because the impact <laughs> to her and others was, you know, I used to be able to take anything back to Target anytime I wanted to without a receipt, and you made them change that. So she holds <laughs> me responsible for some of those changes. But it, it, it's, it's been a good journey because my ultimate goal was about customer satisfaction and some of the, uh, the things in that area, Juliet. Well, I think it does say a lot about a company, um, the way they handle returns. You know, just from a strict consumer perspective, sometimes I will shop places because I like the return policy or because I know I can buy with more confidence knowing that, you know, if I don't like what I purchased, I can take it back and it's going to be hassle-free. I mean, that says, that says volumes to what a company does. I completely understand that, Juliet. And the truth is this country has become a culture of entitlement. I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but about 100 mm -hmm. years ago, this little company called Sears Roebuck put the words on their front door, satisfaction guaranteed. And for them, that meant they would take anything back from anybody, anytime. And for example, Craftsman Tools, a lifetime warranty. If you had a 30-year-old Craftsman power drill or hammer or screwdriver, you could take it back into Sears during its entire lifetime and get a new one. And that was amazing that they started that. And it became a real sledgehammer in our culture that what you just described, every retailer or e-tailer, if you're buying on the internet, has been forced to respond to the idea of the customer has to have an easy process to return something. And it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. And the RLA was created with a goal and vision of saying, it's not just about how to process returns, which will always be there, but can we do something upstream to make the products better for people, that they're happier with them? So at Philips and in the RLA, some of the focus has been what goes wrong? Because I would say in the early 2000s, there was a program called Six Sigma. It was an engineer's dream. We can make products perfect and they'll never come back. But what we found at Phillips when we did surveys is the people didn't say that the product didn't work. 75% of the time they said the product did not meet their expectations. 
either it didn't work with something else that they had at their house or it didn't fit or it didn't look as good on them as it did on the pictures in the magazine or it didn't do what it said it would do on the outside of the box. These are some of the things that have gone wrong in the customer experience that even begins the process. Juliet, as you just described, you'll look for something and you wanna make sure it's a hassle-free returns policy, but I don't believe any consumer, well, let's say most any consumer, buys a product like Juliet, you don't go online and order 10 pair of shoes just to see which ones fit on your feet the best. You buy something generally because you need it, uh, because you fell for the advertising, which we all do, and you take it, and if you get it, and it doesn't do what you had in your mind, you have an entitled right to send it back. And, and that's absolutely true. But it does begin, and we learned this at Philips. We learned it at Philips with a product called MP3s, which came out and did not work well with other products. If you downloaded music from iTunes, then you couldn't download from Windows Media Player, or you couldn't download from Napster. And MP3 players started to come back around the turn of the century in excess of 40% return rates. Wow. That's a very high number. Yeah, that's a staggering number. Um, but it was all about the product didn't do what it was supposed to do. So at the Reverse Logistics Association, our members are companies such as retailers and manufacturers who carry the biggest load, right? They make the products, they sell the products, they have to deal with the returns. The other half of our membership would be companies that we would call third-party solutions providers. That can be a company that uh, recycles, refurbishes, or resells those return goods and helps the retailer and manufacturer get rid of the return goods. That's the reverse logistics. But it actually starts, Juliet, the moment you buy something in a store or online, it becomes a reverse logistics. Anything that happens after that. If you need a return, of course, that's easy. If you need to handle a repair, such, a, such as a major appliance in your home, that's a reverse logistics issue. If uh, you have to send something back for an exchange, you might be using the postal service, uh, UPS. Those are reverse logistics operations. So the, the Reverse Logistics Association is a very broad organization of member companies who, again, are all focused on this vision of finding a way to reduce returns, process the valid returns less costly or more efficiently, and then put them into the marketplace again as soon as possible so that other customers can buy them at a value. That's kind of the RLA. So I guess this brings us to, you know, what are some of the ways to prevent returns? Because I know that if I'm going into a store and I find a product and I can see it and I can touch it, it's tangible, I'm, I'm far less likely to return it because I've been able to, you know, check it out essentially and, and see it for myself. And then as we move towards this e-commerce, which now I shop mostly online, I, I have a feeling that my return rate has gone up simply because I am not seeing it in person. Like you're saying, the advertising might not match the actual product or what I see on the advertising, I have a different expectation of what, what it is when it arrives. So, you know, what are some ways that, that you are working towards preventing returns from even happening? Because that seems very magical. 
<laughs> and Juliet, there is some magic involved, and, and that that is such a key to what the RLA is all about. We try to help promote the best practices. We try to have conferences and seminars and committee meetings where people can hear from companies like Philips, where we went through the pain of all of these returns, and how did we fix it? What tricks did we find? What secrets did we learn? Um, it's not rocket science, or I wouldn't be doing it. I'm clearly not a rocket scientist. What I listened to and learned about were amazing uh, programs and ideas from companies that allowed things to, to be processed more efficiently and reduced. A couple of examples, Juliet. For example, um, Revlon Cosmetics, Avon, and other cosmetic companies developed a device that could be scanned over the cosmetics if they were returned, and it would be able to tell if there had ever been human contact with the lipstick or the powders or the makeup. If there was no human contact ever, it would be able to be resold into a secondary market, maybe in a, a different package. That's an example of reducing landfill and reducing throwing things away, one example. Then you have a story of a company like Nike. What happens to all those shoes that get returned? They've been worn, they can't get reworn again uh, or resold, but Nike developed a, a machine and a process to take all those shoes, shred them into millions of little pieces, and they turned it into running tracks, which they donated to high schools and grade schools around the United States. It's an amazing story. And then there's the aspect of how do the retailers like Walmart and Target and Home Depot avoid the returns of products that they never sold in the first place, which is fraud and can happen. Um, what was developed is a program where the serial number is captured on these more expensive products at the point of sale. It's become invisible to you, Juliet, when you buy, let's say, a, a Blu-ray DVD player at Walmart, when you go to the register with it, they scan twice. They scan the UPC once. It identifies the product and the price, but then it scans the serial number. Now, the serial number has been captured. It's actually on the receipt. Whether you keep it or not, it's in a database. So if you left and came back the next week with the units, they would scan that at the register, the returns desk, and they would know, yes, Juliet bought this Blu-ray player at this Walmart store two weeks ago. It's valid for return. Or it might say this serial number was never sold by Walmart. It may say hmm. this serial number was sold at Kmart or at Target. The serial number tracking, it doesn't track you, Juliet, but it tracks the product. So it helps the retailers limit fraudulent returns. Because again, remember, these return goods are being liquidated in the marketplace everywhere from uh, really great stores like Bargain Hunt or Big Lots, they carry refurbished products. But there's also some of this product that's liquidated where it gets to a flea market or, or the Goodwill stores as a return. And that product then could wind up going back to a retailer's store and it could become a fraudulent return because they never sold that particular unit. So serial number tracking has become a major uh, a benchmark program to help reduce returns. Now that's the policing action. On the flip side, Juliet, you're going online more and more now, of course, to buy products, as, as most consumers are in this country. 
when you look at the product, there's little magic, like you can enlarge the pictures, you can look more closely at it, you can see the items in different colors, uh, you can see it perhaps on a model in different positions. It gives you some idea. What's interesting in the research that the RLA has helped promote is, for example, Juliet, if they show a color of a sweater and they tell you it's available in other colors, they tend to have higher returns than if they show you that sweater in five different colors. And, and that's intuitive, mm -hmm. right? That makes sense. What's interesting is that if they show that sweater on a male or female model, depending on who it's for, those products tend to come back more often because people suddenly get that sweater package in their home, they put it on, they look back online at the picture of the person wearing it there, and they say, I don't look anything like that, I'm sending it back. So there's some interesting research that corresponds to social media impact on returns and, and so on. And, and that's kind of some of the best practices that the Reverse Logistics Association promotes, both on our website, in our magazine, the newsletter, and all of these events that we have where people speak about best practices. So it's kind of, there's, there's so many amazing things going on today, Juliet, about ways to more effectively sell the product, not overpromise what the product will do or should do. So there's some really cool things going on. No, absolutely. And, and you, you know, you have to adapt to this marketplace and, and finding out how people are going to react to certain images and pictures you know, is, is a science all in itself. You and I were speaking a little bit earlier about, uh, before the podcast started, about how future technologies are finding their, their way into this industry. Why don't you talk a little bit about how, you know, AI and, and 3D printing and all that is now impacting what you do? Uh, great topic area, Juliet. And it's important to know that, uh, as I said, there's no one silver bullet that can stop all returns. That's not going to happen. But what's coming out there that can help process returns better? We've already mentioned some ideas of things that can help improve the sale of the product. But let's just say it's a legitimate return. And now it's come back. What do we do with it? We want to process it the most efficient way possible. Now, products that come back, whether it's electronics, whether it's clothing and so on, have to go through kind of a, a, a an inspection process, right? The inspection is to see... Is it torn? Is it scratched, etc.? Now, part of that today is a pure judgment call. In a warehouse that receives returns, you might have 50 different people touching and processing the returns, which means you have 50 different sets of judgment on the products that are being returned. So what might be a grade A to you and I, Juliet, might be a grade B to someone else who looks at it, might even be a grade C. We might look at it and say, you know what, there's no tears. Uh, it looks like a grade A, but there might be something really hidden in it that we missed or a scratch that's three inches instead of one inch. How do you grade those? Well, again, individuals will grade on their own. Using artificial intelligence and cameras, it allows the judgment and the decision-making to be driven by analytics that say no more than a one-inch scratch on this cell phone, uh, no tears visible on this clothing, uh, no scuff marks on these shoes. So AI will help make that decision-making uh, more efficient 
and go faster. The other thing AI does is it can watch the movements of people engaged in these processes and clock it. In other words, track 10 different people processing returns, see the variations between them, see who's doing it the best, and train using the AI to show people this is the most efficient way we found from your own team of doing this. So everyone try to do the same thing. So AI helps in those repetitive areas. It can help with the grading. There's some terrific work being done. Another example of futuristic technology is by a company called Help Lightning, but it really is all about augmented reality and virtual reality. Let's say you're having trouble hooking up some products in your home, your home theater system, and there's a lot of wires and you don't know what to do with them. You can get on a phone call with augmented reality and virtual reality. They take over your phone's camera. You aim it at the back of the products you're trying to connect, and their hands will appear on the screen of your cell phone and show you exactly which wire to grab and which place to put it in. And that's already out there today. So there's some very amazing things happening that will make the next five to 10 years uh, much more customer-centric, consumer-centric. And since I explained that most people are taking things back because it didn't do what they expected to do, if you could help them understand what it's supposed to do and help them connect it or make it work or use it correctly, you've really made a strong headway into improving the customer satisfaction which will ultimately reduce returns. And and that is so good for customers because you don't want to go through the hassle of returns. It's great for companies for all the the, uh, the dimensions that you that you said with as far as trash, as far as you know, having a loss of the product, etc. And it's so great that these solutions are coming about because at this day and age, you know, we have the resources to be to be more efficient. So why not use them? And part of the uh, Reverse Logistics Association goal is to participate in the circular economy. So we don't talk about cradle to death or cradle to grave anymore. We talk about trying to create and develop products that not only can make one person happy, but can make someone else happy if it's returned and has to be resold or become a resource for us in a recycling process. But let me give you another statistic that everyone's going to relate to. The cellular phone industry is huge, of course. Hundreds of millions of phones are being sold every year. But what's what was sad is that the old ones were not being recycled as effectively as they could be. It's now estimated that in the year 2018, over 180 million returned phones will be resold to people in the secondary market as, as a product that has been wiped clean, data's been taken out, it's been reformatted, and it becomes a value proposition for someone who might want a smartphone, but they can't spend $500 for it, but they could spend 200 or 100 So that's an amazing movement going on in the circular economy, which is an entire organization of its own, to focus on how do you let products keep getting used until their very end of life, and I believe Apple, among other companies in the circular economy, uh, such as Philips and uh, H&M and others, their focus is at the end of its life, can we take that product, recycle it, and rebuild new products from those components? And the answer is 
yes, we can, and it's coming. That provides so much hope. You know, I, I try to live by, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, because I feel like it's my, it's my citizen of the world, little yeah. self, trying to say, you know, I need to make this a better planet. It's not just about me. It's about, it's about this global idea. And I feel like this, this generation currently and the one upcoming, hopefully is going to continue to adapt that. Well, Juliet, good point. And, and, it's the, and, and it's those generations that are coming up with these augmented reality ideas, virtual reality, um, artificial intelligence to help um, make things work better, simpler, easier, and so on. Um, and, and, and that's a lot of changes that, that have been coming just in the last few years that can only imagine how much will happen in the next year. There will always be returns. There will always be a need for the Reverse Logistics Association to talk about the ways of reducing those returns, of reusing the returns and recycling. So I'm very, very proud of being the, the director now of this association and focusing on the next 10 years. In the last 10 years, like I said, we accomplished some ma major, major improvements in the whole system, especially in my years at Phillips. Uh, but now I, I'm honored and fortunate to be able to promote these ideas all over the world with global companies and, and talk about um, how there's a lot of difficulties, but there's a lot of new, amazing solutions coming. And, um, and so the RLA is proud to be connected with the circular economy, focus on sustainability. Those are some of my keynote speakers at our conferences that talk about some of these ideas. And um, we're very proud of, of, of what we see coming in the next few years. Well, Tony, tell our listeners, what is the best way to, to really follow RLA's you know, progress through the space, find out if there's speakers coming up? What is the best way to connect? I, I appreciate you bringing that part of it up. The RLA is easy to find on the website, uh, on the Internet. It's rla.org, uh, real simple. Uh, the, the website is geared more towards, as I said, the retailers and manufacturers and third-party solutions provider companies. It's not as geared towards consumers, uh, but anyone can access the site. And it's very easy to register as a new user. It's free. On the website, the upper right corner has a register button. You go on, you can register as a new user. You can agree to receive the newsletter, uh, the magazine for a limited time. You can get our email campaigns. We have seminars all over the country, all over the world. We will have an RLA Europe conference in October. RLA North America will be in February. So we do these events for companies and businesses, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not impossible for consumers to look there and see all of the white papers and the research and articles that have been written and published and, and, and presented in the last 10 years because they're available on the RLA website. Fantastic. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us here today and, and really shedding some light on, on this, new, this world of, of returns and reverse logistics that is, is changing the way we, we view products and solutions. Julia, thank you so much for the opportunity to continue to be an evangelist for this. I, I've been lucky mm -hmm. enough to get invited to events all over the world to speak about this important area. It's a passion for me. I'm lucky that Phillips retired me at the right time to start doing this, and I will continue to help 
promote the idea of improvements in reverse logistics and customer satisfaction for the next few years with the RLA. Fantastic. Well, that was Tony Shirata. He is the Executive Director at Reverse Logistics Association. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.